hey, it's Ian Altman. Do you want to connect with other people just like you looking to take your expertise and your sales to the next level? Then check out the Same Side Selling Academy. It's all integrity-based. We've got instructional videos. It's a private community in Facebook, so you can share ideas and collaborate with other people. Twice a month, I'll do a Facebook Live addressing specific questions so you can hear the actual language that I believe will help you drive success. And then we'll have extraordinary guests on on a regular basis as well to add additional value. The charter and founding members get a deal and a half, really just appreciating you for asking the questions, suggesting that I offer this stuff, and almost apologetically because it took me so darn long to launch it. So we hope to see you there at the Same Side Selling Academy. Just visit samesidesellingacademy.com or ianaltman.com and you'll see it all there. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, I'm speaking with Phil Jones. Now, Phil's a guy who's had an amazing career being initially a top performing sales guy, both in retail and in real estate. And then the man's trained over 2 million people around the world in, I believe it's over 50 countries on integrity-based selling. And so we're going to talk about the mistakes that drive people and drive customers away from you, the mindset traps that can make it so that your relationship with your client is adversarial. And we're going to speak specifically about some of the concepts in his latest best-selling book, Exactly What to Say, The Magic Words for Influence and Impact. I'm telling you, he's a great guy. You're going to learn a ton from Phil Jones. Phil Jones, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me here, Ian. It's a delight. Well, I don't know if it's a delight, but you know, but, but you're here, so now you're kind of locked in and committed, right? Well, that's it. So I may as well enjoy it, right? <laughs> exactly. So, Phil, you're a guy who is well known for having expertise not only in sales, but specifically the word choices that people make in sales situations. And before we dive into the masterful content that you have in your latest book, exactly what to say. Let's talk a little bit about the mistakes and pitfalls that people fall into when they're trying to grow their business today. Wow. I mean, if we're going to talk mistakes and pitfalls, I mean, I wonder how long we have um, for this interview. We may have to extend this interview to several hours, but let's start with the biggest one. I think some of the biggest mistakes that we bump into more than anything is is mindset issues, particularly in the world of sales or business growth, is that people are going in thinking, well, really, A, what's in this for me? And going in looking to try and get a result for themselves rather than think about who they're meeting, what they're about, what the problems are that they could solve, and going on an exploratory mission. Instead, what they're often thinking is, I hope I win this deal. And, and even that thought of, I hope I win this deal, is something that I think can be smelt a mile off by a consumer, can be you know any business that is is bumping into these kind of people is probably not going to get the outcome they're looking for from those meetings. And the biggest mistake that I see is people relying on their experience. So they fail to prepare. They just don't put the right thought into a conversation, a meeting, a discussion prior to the event and try and rely on their individual brilliance when they get there. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, curious, I'm curious your thoughts on this. I think that when people have that mindset that says, well, I, I hope I win this account, they almost come across with a sense of desperation. Absolutely. And that can't make the buyer feel confident. It's the opposite. What it actually does, it sets off the salesperson alarm. The buyer's guard goes up to a huge degree. And they realize that this isn't about 
two people trying to achieve a similar or a common goal. It's about somebody there under the desperation of achieving a one-sided result. Yeah, and and my guess is that then once we get to that point where now now you're thinking, man, I hope I win this deal. If it turns out that it's not a good fit, then all of a sudden they're faced with the this terrible feeling of rejection. So how how does that play into this? Rejection is something I hear about that that sales professionals or, or people that need to, to to part a decision from anybody at any point is fearful of more than anything else heading into a conversation, and. It comes down to people taking things far too seriously. And personally, what they're often thinking on that fear of rejection thing is that the rejection is a personal rejection towards them as an individual, as opposed to the outcome or the solution or the product um, that is that is being laid out. So I guess thoughts around rejection is that people need to distance themselves a touch from the outcome before understanding whether there's a genuine fit. And I tell a story often when I'm on stage that says that, well, we really need to be thinking about sales in, in a process. It's not do I win or do I lose. It really needs to be played out in a number of stages. And I talk about nine of them. And the first one is obviously giving a good representation of yourself and your company. You can control that. And if that's the least that you do when you meet or speak to somebody for the very first time, you've at least succeeded to a point. And success isn't black and white. It's fundamentally gray. Second one is we want to get a position where there is some trust involved and some rapport built. But the third one is probably the biggest, that before any sale can take place, you have to create a genuine opportunity. And note I say create, not wait for, wish for, hope for, or pray for. There is something that you can do to be able to expose that the opportunity is, is there. But the most important point in that is genuine. And you know, I hear the thing that is often talked about in the world of sales, that they're a great salesperson because they can sell sand to the Arabs or ice to Eskimos or any of these phrases that get thrown around. And for me, they're the worst, because in today's marketplace, if what you do is you manage to get somebody to impart on a decision that fundamentally was the wrong thing for them, then they wake up the next day disappointed. And that disappointment does not serve business growth in a modern day marketplace. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I often say that years ago, if you delivered something that your client didn't value, if you sold something and they didn't get the results they were looking for, they might tell a friend or two. Yeah. And today they'll tell thousands of people they've never even met. Right. And so they'll take to social media and they'll trash you. And so that notion of selling, and this is an area you and I are in complete sync on this notion of selling whether the client needs it or not, whether you can deliver the results or not, is a thing of the past. Yeah. And people who are selling snake oil, you and I have talked about this, we're not big fans of those people. Hugely not fans. And, you know, in the medical industry, they say that prescription before diagnosis is malpractice. And I think that exact same thing echoes true in every other area of business life, is that we cannot be deciding in advance that somebody needs something before we've got under the skin and under the surface to find out if there really is a true benefit. And people talk about consultative selling like it's just one area of the sales process. In my mind is everything in some way should require some level of consultation to be able to make sure that we're aligning the right thing to the right person at the right time. And it stops us from making the mistake to being the one thing that people are fearful of that salespeople is, which is pushy. Pushy is the thing that we definitely don't want to be. And that only comes about by making recommendations ahead of time, suggesting somebody needs something before we've got to the fact of whether they really could benefit from the thing. Yeah, I think that's a great message for people, that whole idea of 
you know, treatment before diagnosis malpractice. I love it because that's exactly the scenario that people find themselves in. So we, we, we talk about this idea of different word choices, or you talk about this idea of different word choices, and specifically inside exactly what to say. You give 25 different examples of what people should say instead of what they might be saying otherwise. So if someone has that scarcity mindset, if they have that mindset that says, well, I hope I win this account, then when they initially meet with a client, what does it sound like today versus what exactly should they be saying instead? Can you give kind of a compare and contrast of what it might sound like versus maybe what would generate a better outcome? Let's run with a couple of simple examples. And we're talking word choices. And I want the listeners right now to understand that the power of words is is imperative success in sales conversations. And having studied thousands and thousands and thousands of high-level sales professionals that perform at the top of the game, in many environments, there's the same product, the same service, the same price points, the same discount structure, the same everything. Yet the only differentiator is the word choices. It's knowing exactly what to say, when to say it, and how to make it count. And we talked a second ago about this prescription before diagnosis piece. There's a set of words that I'd like everybody to kind of pre-program into their mind that they should never, ever, 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 ever recommend a product or service to somebody unless they can say these words first. And the words that I think you should put yourself into a position that you can say first are the words because of the fact that you said Now, if you can get to a situation with your consumer where you can say, because of the fact that you said X, Y, and Z, it's for those reasons we'd recommend that we do ABC, then now all of a sudden you're aligning something to somebody else's needs. So we're on about going on 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 almost a, a quest of questions to get to the heart of the issue before you're ever recommending something. The mistake that people make instead is instead of finding stuff out to put themselves into a position where they can say because of the fact that you said, we find ourselves saying things instead like what I think you need is. Now that is naturally going to bring the defense up in the other person or I was thinking that this could be good for you. Well, of course you were thinking it could be good for me because you're going to get paid on it. So it's all about doing things for the right reasons. And it comes to exploring words. So let's just take a fundamental principle here from an overused word. An overused word in the world of business that I hear all the time is the word motivation. And very few people know what it means. The word motivation has derivative right back to to Latin, with the first part of the word meaning uh, coming from the word metavus, and the Asian part of the word coming from the word action. Metavus modern day translation is the word motive. The Asian part meaning action would mean to move or to do. So the real definition of the word motivation is a reason to move or a reason to do something. If we're in the business of influence, our number one priority should be to find a reason that is big enough to get just about anybody to do just about anything. And the basis of the premise of nearly every set of word choices in the book is about plugging into the other person's reason to move, is to make it a good idea for them as opposed to a good idea for me. And when you shift the purpose, you can get just about anybody to do just about anything. Classic example would be that if we wander out into the streets here today just asking strangers for money, I would imagine we don't have much success. If we change the reason to suggest the fact that there is a young child the other part of the country that needs a heart transplant and we need a heart and the only way we can get it there is to charter a chopper to put it across there and we need to raise the funds to do it, everybody digs their hand into the pocket. Our skill in language can be shifting that purpose just by changing a handful of words. 
Yeah. And now, now I'm going to see people on the street corner in my area talking <laughs> about, look, I just, you know, a few dollars, God bless, because I need to put someone on a chopper and take them for surgery. But, you know, it's, well, we'll, we'll hopefully, hopefully it won't be abused. No, absolutely. <laughs> We're using extreme example to make a point, but yeah. yeah. But and I think that it, it resonates back to some of the principles we talk about in same side selling, which is it's all about what your customer or client is trying to accomplish, not what you're trying to sell. Right. And what I love is that in exactly what to say, you give 25 examples that take you from initial conversations where you first meet somebody all the way through objection handling and closing and show examples and contrasts of maybe what people might be saying versus what they should be saying to get a better outcome. Yep. So in that initial piece, what are some of, what are some of the tips that people can use? Because obviously we don't have time to go through all 25. And thankfully, you published a book and people can go on to Amazon and they can get it. But let's go through some of the ones that, that you feel are the most impactful. And, and, and one, of, one of my favorites is the most people one. But okay. start wherever you like. Well, well, why don't we start with the opening of a conversation? Okay. So many people are fearful of a conversation with strangers. We're fearful of rejection. So what if I give a, a rejection-free opening that you can use with just about anybody, Love just it. about any time? And we often want to say to people, I'd quite like you to take a look at this thing. And that is so head-on, we might miss. If we rephrase it and we use a set of magic words that I would say are, I'm not sure if it's for you but then we find ourselves in quite a powerful position. So the very suggestion of the fact that I'm going to take an idea that I want you to take a look at and say, I'm not sure if it's for you, what I'm doing is I'm positioning this idea to the left or to the right of you rather than straight at you. The fact that I suggest to you, I'm not sure if it's for you, your little subconscious voice firstly says, well, I wonder what it is. It creates curiosity. It makes you lean in. But the power in this is that word, but, that three-letter word that more often than not should be avoided in nearly every sales conversation unless you're using it consciously and on purpose. The word but has power in every conversation. And you guys think right now, I mean, if you were privy to a conversation where somebody said to you, look, I love everything you're about. You're a really valued member of the team. I think you do great in all the things that you do here for the organization, but... The only thing we ever remember is the thing that follows the but. So but negates everything that comes ahead of it. So if I want somebody to take a look at a brand new idea, I could say, hey, I'm not sure if it's for you, but, and then insert the thing that I want them to take a look at, and they naturally want to lead into more towards it because the subconscious hears, and it cannot help it, you might want to look at this. I love it. In fact, this reminds me of, there's a concept that we talk about when, when, if you're at a networking event and you encounter somebody, and the mistake that we often see people making is, they think to themselves, well, there's 50 people at this event, so there are 50 potential clients. Instead of realizing, well, there are 50 connections who might be connected to thousands of potential clients yep. for me. And so one of the things that we talk about this made me think of is this notion of, look, so these are the problems that people come to us to address. Can you think of one or two people who might be facing that? Right. And they can say, yes, me. Or they can say somebody else, but you're you're not likely to get a binary no. It's impossible to give a no. Yeah. Because the only way that you can give a no in that scenario is to say, I can't think of anybody or anything because I'm not that smart. And most people aren't in a position where what they will do is is to admit to being dumb or an idiot. So they're going to give you something of value back in the other direction. 
And you're right there. That set of words are really kind of powerful if you know who you're looking for in your marketplace. So if you've got a confidence of knowing what your perfect customer looks like, or perhaps you're even looking at your perfect potential customer. And say, for example, I wanted to do business with franchisors of service-based companies here in North America. I could say, hey, I'm not sure if it's for you, but you wouldn't happen to know maybe a leader of a franchise organization here in North America that has a service proposition they provide to their franchisees and customers. And then people think, well, that was me. And then yeah. they get super excited by it as opposed to saying, I think I've got something you'd like to buy. Yeah, it's, it's that whole notion of none of us like to feel like we're being sold to. And most people in sales have been taught, well, here's the way you push and you sell to people instead of, look, I'm just trying to find the people I can have the greatest impact for. I don't know if that's you, but if it is, wow, I'd love to help. I have a few dictionary definitions of what a salesperson is, and I think this might help a number of people listening in right now. One is that of a decision catalyst. You know, We're there to help people through the decision-making process because people find that hard. That's why we're employed in a sales capacity. And if we're not a decision catalyst, we are professional mind-maker-uppers. And I think that's a nice way of being able to look at things. Is The thing that costs most businesses an absolute fortune is the people stuck in maybe. It's not the people that were a no that you're going to convert to a yes. And I actually think it's almost impossible to turn somebody from a no to a yes. What we can do is we can get somebody from a no to a maybe and a maybe to a yes, and we can help them work through those bases. So let's give another set of words that maybe helps move somebody through those bases. And quite often you'll face some resistance in conversation where somebody's got one of those yeah, but type moments where they feel like they know more about the subject matter than they really do. So I'll give you an example. I do a chunk of work in the logistics industry. And there's a major logistic provider here in the US that I've done a number of pieces of work with across the globe. And I cannot tell you who they are, but they have three letters to their name and their logo is yellow and red. And I was doing some work with them and their reputation in the US for a significant period of time was tarnished through something that happened over a decade ago. And they would bump into this objection time and time again with a yeah, but they used to. So we can challenge anybody that has a predetermined or preconceived idea about how something is or used to be by utilizing another set of words. See, if what I do is I preface a statement with the words, what do you know about? And then insert maybe a suggestion that comes after that. So what do you know about the way things have changed in the logistics industry over the last five years? The other person now has to put into doubt the certainty that they previously had. And if they look into their memory and realize they have no factual evidence to base the opinion that they previously had on, they're left with saying, well, no, not a lot, which puts you into a position in this negotiation that you're now the expert. You can realign their knowledge base and that realigned knowledge base can be the evidence they utilize to make a new decision, which may well be to partner with you. That's brilliant. So I I love that. What do you know about? And in fact, um, one of the the examples that that for some of my clients we use is build, building on that concept is this notion of when you're talking to somebody and they've identified a problem in their business, say, well, so what's your vision for how you're planning to solve it? Yeah. And invariably what happens is the person didn't have a vision of how they were going to solve it, but they're sure as heck going to make one up now. Right. And it's usually half baked and then it becomes obvious. And by the way, they might say, oh, here's my vision and lay out a very detailed strategy that might lead you to the conclusion that you're not the best person to help them right now. Either way, we're just trying to get to the truth. Absolutely. And and that's what we want to build our partnerships and our conversations on is, is the truth. And so many people fail to prepare their conversations in advance. 
Yet it beats me the number of conversations that professionals have as managers, as leaders, as sales professionals that are repetitive. You know, they are somewhere near the same. Yet in their computer system, they have document after document after document that they'll copy and paste and change and alter a couple of key, key messages to be able to save the duplication. Why don't we do the same with our spoken word is to say, well, I can lean on some word choices that I know that work for me, that I know that deliver and then get so used to practicing and and, and sharing them with others. Because surely the worst time to think about what you're going to say to somebody is in the moment that you're saying it. Yeah, well, and, and I think that that's an area where I've been so impressed because you're able to take organizations who are talking to the same people about the same topics and just by changing a few words generate dramatically better results. And and I will tell you that this, uh, for those of you listening, uh, if you haven't already, make sure that you get exactly what to say. Pick it up on Amazon. It's a book that you will read and you'll probably keep it next to your, next to your bed. Like I have where you just come up with stuff and say, man, that's so clever. Cause I get people asking me all the time. Well, so what's the right way to say this or that? And what I love is that you're not giving people a word-for-word script, but instead you're giving them pieces and elements. So we talked about the idea of the opening. We talked about when you get a little bit of resistance. Um, what else? What What else? If we're going to pick one or two others, let's do a fun one, and then we'll we do a fun one and a powerful one. The fun one, I think, is is you know when you're stuck in conversation, you've got people remarkably interested, but they're kind of stuck up on the fence. They like the idea, and they're needing some nudge or some direction as to what they think they should do next. Maybe even they're stuck between two options, or they're stuck between starting now or starting next month. That we just we really want to be able to say, look, what I think you should do is. And we know they want us to say that too, but if we say that, we sound pushy. We're everything we didn't want to be because we've been consultative up until this point. So let's back up and understand some basic psychology. People take huge confidence in the fact that people like them have done something before them and it worked out great. That's why we like testimonials and review sites and the experience of the fact that people have had a good experience in the past gives us more confidence to believe that we might have a good experience. That's a good thing. We also like to tell people what to do, but we don't like to be told what to do. So let's add those two things together and see how we can utilize that psychology with two powerful word choices that have probably created more successful positive revenue for me and my clients than any other two sets of words. And it's the powerful set of two words, most people. See, when I'm stuck in a situation where I want to be able to guide somebody what to do, instead of me now saying what I think you should do is, I could say, hey, look, what most people do in your circumstances is. And in that very moment, you see it happen within that person's eyes, their body language, their posture, the whole thing in that moment. And they go, oh, I'm most people. Now, those words do never come out of their mouth, but you see it in their response. And it makes decision making easier for them. We've just opened up a path and moved something from being a 50-50 decision to a 90-10 decision in our own favor. And it makes things easy for people. And they're actually grateful. It allows them to be able to opt into your suggestion. It allows you to be able to make a powerful suggestion in more than just your opinion. You're making it into the opinion of others. So there's a fun one. Why don't we deal with another big one? And if I meet any business in the land, the one thing they say they would love more of is referred business. So qualified referred business from happy existing customers, teeing them up to more new people who are similar to them that might go on to do mill business. If I'm speaking to a room of a thousand people and I say who'd like more referred business, then every hand in the room goes up. Yeah, of the thousand people, 1,200 will raise their hand. Exactly. Some of them are like two hands up. It's, it's everybody wants more. I say, well, so who here asks for referrals every single time? And the majority of the hands in the room go down. 
So this baffles me. And it makes me think, well, why are people not asking for the things that they would like? And I learned that if you don't ask, you don't get. So I got confused about trying to wonder why people aren't asking for the thing that I know that they're capable of wanting more of. And I figured it must have been one of three reasons. First reason is that they are too lazy, bone idle, or cannot be bothered to ask. And that's nobody who listens to podcasts. So let's scrap that idea for any of these guys. So it must be one of the other two reasons, which is either they don't know when to ask or they don't know how. So if in the remainder of the time that we have here today, we could deal with those two things, people might get some value from it. Yeah, brilliant. Let's go. So when's the best time to ask for referral? And people will throw at me all these different variations of times, and they're right with every single one of them. But there's a common theme in and around every single one of those sets of circumstances, whether it's when the customer's just paid, when they've just delivered the service, when you've resolved the complaint, whatever it might be. At every single one of those points in time, the customer is happy. When customers are happy, and what do they typically say to you? What words leave their mouth? Thank you. That's it. It's normally just a thank you. A version of thank you comes in the other direction. When we hear the words thank you as service providers, the mistake we make is we pat ourselves on the back and we leave the conversation thinking, didn't I do great today? We have to understand what is meant by that word thank you. See, when somebody gives thanks to you, it's because not that they were giving gratitude, it's because they felt indebted. That's how the other person felt at that moment. Because they felt indebted, they wanted to repay that debt, and they did it by mouthing the words thank you. Now we're back to even. So if you're wondering when the best time to ask for a referral is, it's when the other person feels indebted. And they say the words thank you. So there's your timing. All you now need to do is to listen to the words thank you. Next time a consumer says the words thank you, instead of patting yourself on the back, think, aha, they feel like they owe me. Now's probably a good time to ask. There's your timing issue. Let's deal with now the exactly what to say thing when somebody says the words thank you to you. So we probably need a set of magic words again. And here's a set of magic words, and I'm going to need your help with this in a second, Ian, is um, a set of words you can use to get just about anybody to agree to just about anything before they even know what the thing is. So I think that's kind of cool, a way we can get people to agree before they even know what the thing is. And Ian, to help me with this, can you do me a small favor? Ah, you just got me. There you have it. Absolutely, of course. See, there's no way you can say anything other than yes to the request for a favor. The worst you could say is a conditional yes. Like, yes, or what is it? But it's always a version of yes. Think about the timing of this. You've just done a great job for somebody. They've said thank you. You think, aha, now's the time to ask. You couldn't do me a small favor. Everybody says yes. Not only have we got their agreement, but we've also got their complete attention, which is even more powerful than just their agreement. So now let's play out the rest of the words. They're looking at us feeling and wishing and hoping that they can do something to appease this situation. I'll now say the words you wouldn't happen to know. Why would I say you wouldn't happen to know as opposed to do you know? Well, because obviously when we, when we pose it in a negative, it trigger, triggers people to think differently. Right. And if I suggest you don't know something, what do you want to prove? Well, I want to prove how smart I am and that I want to be able to share it with you. Right. So it's slightly challenging in a way that evokes a response. You wouldn't happen to know... Maybe just one person. Why would I ask for just one person as opposed to anybody? It's way more reasonable. And also, if I want multiple referrals, it always starts with one. And a reasonable request is something you're more likely to get a response from. So you wouldn't happen to know maybe just one person, someone who just like you. Now, why would I say just like you? What does that do? Well, so just like you makes it so now they're thinking of people that fit their profile. Right. And of course, everyone knows people like them. And it's people like them, who hopefully are, were in the same predicament that they're in. You got it. And who they can relate to. And this filter 
also means that you're fishing in a smaller part of your memory bank. It means it's easier to find. Laced with another thing, if I say someone who just like you, there's also a hidden compliment in that. What you're actually saying is, I quite like you. I'd quite like to work with more people who are just like you. You now feel like a great customer, and then naturally you want to help more because you're feeling appreciated, all just with the use of a simple set of words. You wouldn't happen to know maybe just one person, someone who just like you would benefit from. And now the only thing that changes in this script is whatever I put that follows that, which is typically the thing they've just said thank you for. If they say thank you for delivering two hours ahead of schedule, hey, you wouldn't happen to know maybe just one person, someone who just like you that would benefit with somebody who always delivers ahead of schedule, zip. And if they say thank you for saving them a boatload of cash, you know, you wouldn't happen to know maybe just one person, someone who just like you that would like to save $2,224 a year on there, zip. Or even if you've just done something nice for them and shown them where the best restaurants are in town. You wouldn't happen to know maybe just one person, somebody who would like to work with a provider that doesn't just deliver great service but can help you with the best restaurant recommendations in town too, would you? Yeah. And zip it. And the pause now becomes your friend. So I write a book called Exactly What to Say, yet still one of our biggest friends in sales conversations is silence. Yeah. No, you know what? I think it's I think it's a I just I love that you're empowering people with a book that they can fit in their pocket, they can fit in their briefcase, that before they walk into a meeting, they can they can think, man, how, should, how do I phrase that again? And they've got that there. I mean, this is the kind of thing that I can see organizations having copies for every single person on their right. team so that they know exactly what to say when the situation presents itself. As opposed to struggling, saying, well, I know we're supposed to say something, but I forget how to say it, so I'm just going to wing it, which usually doesn't end up well. No, and I wrote this book with a number of purposes in mind, but I learned people were great at buying books. And I'll repeat that, they're kind of great at buying books. So I wanted to create a book that people were happy to read. So it meant that the easier I made it to read, the better. So I worked like crazy to write the shortest good book I I could to get it in the smallest size that could travel with sales professionals as possible. I put lots of white space in there so people could get through pages quickly and feel smart and smug about themselves and something that could act as a reference tool that people could scribble around. So I wanted to create a tool as opposed to a piece of literacy that served me. Yeah. And you know what? And I can tell you that there's so much great stuff in there that I'm confident that anybody that um, that adds this to their library and carries around with them will find that they access and use the content in exactly what to say multiple times per week, if not per day, in their careers to help them be more successful. So I'm just thrilled to have you share this information with people. Hey, Phil, what's the best way? Obviously, they can find the book on Amazon. What's the best way for people to learn more about you, the keynotes that you deliver, and where they can learn more about Phil Jones? Sure. And and I think I'll say to everybody listening in right now is, is I love people who like my work. What I love more than that, though, is people who go and use something that they've picked up along the way, implement it, take action on it. So the best things that you can ever share with me online is, hey, Phil, I did this thing that I picked up from your book, and guess what? It worked. I will love hearing those success stories. And the best place to find me on that is on Twitter, which is at Phil M. Jones UK. But any difficulty anybody has on finding me online, I'm the Phil Jones that doesn't play for Manchester United. And you can find me at philmjones.com, plug into all the social channels. And I've learned something really cool. What I've learned is that questions lead to conversations. Conversations lead to relationships, relationships create opportunities, and opportunities lead to sales. 
So please join the conversation. Please ask me some questions as you can. If you try using something and it doesn't work out, come find me online. I might be able to give you a bit of a steer. And one word of warning for everything and exactly what to say is there's nothing in that book that works with all of the people all of the time. This is just some stuff that works with more of the people more of the time. And the compound effects of something working with more of the people more of the time over a 12-month period of time can be the difference between a good year and a great year. Brilliant. Phil, thanks so much for joining me, man. Thank you for having me. There's just a ton of great information from Phil. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information I think you can take away and use right away. First, I would encourage you to pick up Phil's latest book, Exactly What to Sell. You can pick it up on Amazon. It was an instant bestseller, and there's a good reason why. It's a size book you can carry around in your pocket. It's a great reference tool. So remember, sales is not a win-lose scenario. We want to make sure that word choices matter. So if we start with things like, because you said this, and if we start thinking about, I'm not sure if it's for you, but those types of phrases set it up so that it's not about rejection, it's about finding the fit. And then when we get resistance, maybe you look at things like, what do you know about? Or for most people in your situation, and then I love his way of asking about referrals, could I ask you dot, dot, dot. And then you wouldn't happen to know people just like you. And that's how we get those simple favors. Remember, this show gets the direction from you, the listener. If there's a guest you think I should have on, if there's a topic you'd like me to cover, just drop me a note at ian at ianaltman.com. And remember to check out the Same Side Selling Academy and would love to have you be a part of it. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.